There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We are lawyers, mothers, and hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Just as we differ in political philosophy, we've arranged our lives in very different ways, from our careers to where we live to our choices around marriage and family. But we have more in common than divides us. In a world that increasingly defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. Choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. We are so excited to be here with everyone. And we are going to talk about our partnership today, which seems appropriate because we just spent several days together in real life. Yes, we get lots of questions like, how do you write a book together? How do you do this podcast together? And so I think so many people are out there trying to collaborate with others and struggling. This should be a good conversation. But first, we got lots of feedback on all kinds of things that we've been talking about. HGTV, wedding, so much feedback. All really good stuff. So Kelsey emailed us and she said she's a graphic designer, so she works in the wedding industry. And she said, I see regularly firsthand how dangerously commercialized the industry is, as well as how much unnecessary pressure it puts on everyone. Pressure on their brides to have the perfect fairytale wedding, pressure on singles to feel as though we are missing out. Y'all have often mentioned your beef with HGTV. Mine is with Pinterest Perfect Weddings and TLC. Side note, this is Sarah talking, not Kelsey. I am so glad Pinterest did not exist when I got married. End of side note. Yes. I could not agree more that we need to pull back on weddings because, frankly, things have gotten out of hand. I just don't think – I don't think it's just that we don't celebrate singles. It's that as a society, we don't celebrate non-romantic love nearly as much as we should. The best advice I ever received that was while marrying is not for everyone. There will always be other love, be that from friends, family, or your community. One of the most toxic narratives in our society is that it's single equals alone because that is simply not true. And I think it's important to recognize that is not an issue that affects only women. So true. Good point, Kelsey. I think it's a really important point, too, because I do think that the more pressure we put on marriage, the less successful marriage can be. Yeah, because you can't be everything to one person. One person can't be everything to you. It's too much. It's like when people make their kids the whole reason for living. It's too much pressure for one person. Yeah, Especially if you're three. I don't know why we've decided to elevate that relationship above all relationships. But if we could get to a place where we say, like, actually, I am demoting that relationship from the top position in my life for it, right? Not mm-hmm. not to take away from it, but to enhance it. Right. I think that would be very helpful. Y'all are also still emailing us with amazing ways to break the rules to catch everyone up. My dear friend Holly, who is a health coach, suggested that women find other ways to break the rules because we are primarily rule followers and caregivers. And we sort of need a way to be like, I'm going to do this for myself. And often we use unhealthy food like chocolate brownies, et cetera. 
So it's good to find other ways. Julie emailed us and said that she doesn't wear makeup. She doesn't clean her house to perfection before hosting a party. She says, these choices are also my best example of living a feminist lifestyle. I work a demanding full-time job just like my husband. If almost all of the childcare-related tasks fall to me, which they do, and I like those tasks, so I'm not interested in delegating them to my husband, which I loved her honesty there, then other tasks will either fall to him or will simply fall away. And by not killing myself to do those other tasks, I'm rebelling. I'm not superhuman. I'm a regular human. I'm not trying to fool anybody into thinking differently of me. I love that. Also, it reminds me of the new Casey Musgraves album. She has a song called Wonder Woman. It's like, baby, I'm not a Wonder Woman. And she talks about the. There's this part of the song where she's like, I bet it's hard trying not to always get hurt. It's why it only happens in the movies. Y'all, I started crying. That's how much the pressure to be these, like, the pressure we put ourselves on our on ourselves to, like, be these Wonder Woman, Wonder Mom, Wonder Wife, man. I was like, why am I crying, Casey Musgraves? Y'all should listen to the song. It's good. I'll put it in the show notes. Caitlin also doesn't wear makeup. She mm-hmm. said, we got a bunch anywhere. Of people like that. Yeah, I love it. I dig it. I'm here for it. Work, board meetings, black tie events, weddings. I don't go all Francis McDormand, which cracked me up. She said, I do wear little dresses and shoes that are cute. I have great jewelry and a fun haircut that styles well. But I just decided that if my husband doesn't need it, then either do I. I still Oof. look fabulous. People still talk to me and I still have a blast. I don't have to take it with me when I travel or take the time to put it on or refresh it or worry if it's caking or looking weird. I'm not pushing this on everyone, but for me, it's been such a refreshing and liberating change that I just wanted to share. And this to me is like the essence of where we are. Like I love makeup. I don't want to go anywhere without makeup ever. I put makeup on sometimes when I'm just going to be in my house all day because I enjoy it. It's relaxing for me to put it on, but I don't want to feel like I have to wear it. And I think if we're at that point where you can say, Oh, you enjoy it? Fabulous. You don't? Take it out of your life. It doesn't matter. Then we're, we've are we arrived. Well, my beautiful, beautiful friend, Kirsten, who has naturally, like, white blonde hair, beautiful skin, everything. Uh, like, a year or so ago, she said, like, I'm just not going to wear makeup anymore. If people want this blonde hair, then they should look, see what it looks like totally and completely, which means I have blonde eyelashes, as do I. Sarah, I have blonde eyelashes. And I was just, like, so impressed with that because that's the part, like, if I'm being vulnerable and honest, I do not wear makeup because I love makeup. I wear makeup because I think I look ugly with my blonde eyelashes, and I'm trying to get past that, and I will definitely go out with make- without makeup. And sometimes I'll go out and I'll think, oh, like, I'm a city commissioner. I'm going out all, like, without makeup. And I'm like, you know what? Heck no. All the male city commissioners go out all the time looking however they want, and I'm going to, too. So I, I'm, I can do it. But I really do wish I could get to a point where I'm like, I'm not going to wear mascara ever again as long as I live. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working at my bravery in that area because that's the one that, like, I'll go out without foundation and all that stuff, like, whatever. But I would love to get to where Caitlin is. I think it's 10 kinds of baller. This is not related to makeup, but I have been wanting to get your opinion on it. Did you happen to read Peggy Noonan's editorial about Mark Zuckerberg looking like a child all the time? No, but my grandmother said the same thing. Why are people obsessed with what a baby face he has? Well, she is not obsessed with his baby face. She is saying, why don't you put on a tie, Mark Zuckerberg? Why don't you look like an adult for a second? And why don't you present yourself like an adult? Yeah. Because she said, you know, a lot of what's going on in the culture, and I didn't agree with a lot of this, and a lot of it made me roll my eyes a lot, but there was something in there that I wanted to talk about. Her assertion, it's not just about Mark Zuckerberg. She says, you know, Laura Ingram is in trouble for what she said about David Hogg because Laura Ingram does not appreciate who she is and how much power her words have. Mm. And a lot of what's wrong in America right now is adults 
don't remember that they're adults <laughs> and people mm. don't remember who they are when they say things and what impact their words have because of who they are. And Mark Zuckerberg wants to still be sitting in his dorm room in his hoodies, but he's not. He doesn't yeah. appreciate who he is as Mark Zuckerberg. And I thought there was way too much emphasis on the clothing aspect, but it does make me think about how we present ourselves to your point way back in our yes, conversation about church clothes, mm-hmm. how we to present the ourselves yeah, matters to some degree. And I don't think that means we all need to be dressed up all the time. I don't think it means anything about makeup. I think you can be very dressed up without any makeup on. You can. I don't think makeup equals polished presentation. It just really, I don't know, it just got me thinking a lot. Well, and here's the thing, too, that... I think there's something about what brings out our sort of inner 16-year-old where nobody can act appropriately based on their age, seniority, privilege, whatever, is social media because there is no trigger in that space like clothing in the real world to be like, remember who you are, how old you are, where you are, and how you're acting. Like it's just – it's the internet. There's not a lot of triggers like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a good point. And I think that is sort of related to HGTV because that presentation for presentation's sake is really different from presentation that grounds you in who you are. And so that is related to some of the feedback that we got about HGTV. Caitlin said, and I loved this, that the Gaineses of Waco are today's Brady Bunch. She was in middle school when the Brady Bunch was on TV and said she had terrible Brady envy. My family was dysfunctional. Our house was a mess. I wanted Carol as a mother, Mike as a dad, Peter as a not really related are we brother. And I wanted that house, that cute, clean, modern house. Today, my life is actually pretty good, but I still find myself experiencing fixer upper envy. Four perfect kids, cute farmhouse, baby goats and chip. I love my husband more than anything, but if he took a sledgehammer to our wall in our house, would he uncover row upon row of shiplap? I think not. Could he move a staircase to the other side of the house if I ask him to? Sigh. (laughs) And I think that's right. And there's a part of that that isn't harmful, right? Because we've always needed that kind of escapism. It's just when we take it too far and go into, as Liz talked about, an inability to be happy with what we have, an inability to be okay with the imperfect or merely adequate, that it becomes a problem. The other big impact of our HGTV conversation was our discussion about men and decorating. You guys had so many thoughts. One of our most loyal and favorite listeners, Lou, wrote in and also added, you were so right about HGTV making for low conflict, entertaining viewing that I think there's something else going on, though, that makes it so well suited as the channel of choice whenever I'm with my in-laws. HG provides an outlet for opinion and judgment in a relatively healthy, low-cost fashion. I can let my views... let fly my views about the people on the show, the choices they make, their priorities, and it's all kosher. I 3,000% agree with it. It's so true. It's so fun to judge the people on HGTV. And harmless. We do need harmless places to be judgy. We got a Facebook message a while back from another favorite listener, Ashley, who said... Can we just not try to not be judgmental? Because we're going to always. Yeah, I totally agree with that 300%. Yes. And I think the thing to do is recognize that that's what we're doing and then move on from it instead of following it down a rabbit hole and letting it become our whole reality. In that way, I think Lee makes a great point that HGTV is a really sane, healthy place to just work out all of your inner bitchiness a little yeah. bit, you know? Because it needs to get out. It just needs to get out. I, my other, Another listener emailed us, and I thought this was such a good point. Adrian said, 
Do you think the open concept look has become more popular because of the fact that parents trend towards wanting to be able to see slash monitor their kids more constantly? And I would add that the kids are inside as opposed to outside running free like our parents did. Bluntly put, what came first, helicopter parenting or let's blow through the wall and open this up? I never thought about this way, but I think she is on to something. Well, and in that way, it's pretty important to recognize how layers of culture feed each other. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. The other thing y'all emailed us in and, and really connected with was the discussion about men and decorating with regards to HGTV. Lou mirrored that he agreed that it's it's sort of this not okay thing for men to do. Erica emailed us, and this was my favorite observation. She said, I watched an episode of Friends last night where Monica mocks Chandler for wanting to have any input in decorating and furnishing their apartment. That message has been ingrained in men for decades. Years ago, I found it funny. Now it makes me sad. And she also said that on Queer Eye, like, even now, you kind of have a man has to be gay to, or a straight guy has to get permission from a gay guy in case it, and for it to be okay. You know, like it couldn't have just been five guys interested in decorating, share it with other five straight guys. You know, I thought that was an interesting observation too. Like that is, that's the like, I think the men can't care about this kind of stuff. This is ingrained as dumb old dad can't handle anything, which is another sitcom trope that gets on my nerves. And Lou said, you know, we should make these things available in the category of manly. Mm-hmm. Because more options are better than fewer options. And mm-hmm. I thought that was so – that was a beautiful way to put that. Agreed. We really do need to allow men into this space. My husband and I had some funny conversations <laughs> after we recorded this episode, particularly about a chair that remains in our bedroom. It is I've a seen chair, the chair that I don't like. I've seen the chair. Chad is very attached to the chair. And I'm sure that you look at it and could say, that is Chad's choice, not Beth's. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't want to live in a house where my husband feels that he can't have a chair that he really likes just because it's not my taste. And so all of this is an, a marriage exercise in addition to being about aesthetic. And I think that that's what a lot of listener feedback really connected with about our conversation on HGTV, that HGTV is only about aesthetics. And we forget that when we're watching it, mm-hmm. you know, and we forget that our homes should serve us and not just be functional in the sense of, gosh, my large kitchen island makes for a great place for the kids to do homework, but functional for our relationships and functional for the way that we want to parent. And filled with things that we love, whether they're pretty or not. So next up, we're going to talk about partnerships of another kind, the partnership of business, women, mainly, Beth and Sarah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jelly, who is a friend, mentor, very important person in my life, suggested that Sarah and I talk sometime about how we collaborate with each other to create our podcast and our book. And it made me think about how routinely someone asks me, 
how do y'all do this? You're not in the same city. How do you write a book with someone else? (laughs) How do you do it? And I thought it would be fun to talk about that since so many people are out there collaborating with others and those collaborations are not always as pleasant and fulfilling and successful as ours has been so far. I think that the first and easiest answer is trust. I would say that there have been times in our partnership where I have just basically been like, okay, Beth, you make all the decisions. I've got about 10,000 other things. Like, for example, when I was running for office, but I just totally and completed, completely trusted her to make decisions and steer the ship and whatever. And she did it. And I was fine with everything she did. And then I think there's also an answer to that trust, which is like she knew that would not continue forever. And there would be parts there would be times when I would steer the ship where she couldn't be totally focused on the partnership or the business because she had other things in her life. And there's just a part of me that's just I feel like our vision is so shared for where we want to go and what we want to do that I'm never fearful that it's something unfair is happening or it's going to become something I don't love. There's just an insane amount of trust. I think that's the first answer. I completely agree. And I think it's important for us to recognize that we have an unusual, our partnership was created in an unusual way because we did not start this to be about making money at all. We did not start it with the expectation that it would be anything, right? We said, what if we tried a podcast? And we had no idea what was going to happen with that podcast. And we had no idea that we'd ever have advertisers or that we would need to turn it into something that makes money in order to continue to do it. I mean, our hobby outgrew hobby status, right? And so we started with different objectives. We started with a mission-oriented objective. And I think that when you're so clear from the beginning of something, what the mission is in such a pure way, it was an Mm -hmm. unusually pure way to start something. And so when we talk about our level of trust for each other, I understand that in other collaborations, that might not be the case. What I think you could learn from the way we collaborate with each other is that When you're struggling in a collaboration, coming back to what are our shared values, what is our vision, what is our mission, is the key to building greater trust. Because I will say, in my past, I've had other collaborations. My sort of life online began with a close friend of mine from law school who reached out and said, do you want to start a blog, a parenting blog? And it was really, really great. And we, you know, did it for a couple of years and then both sort of outgrew the time commitment and space and a lot of different things. It really wasn't about any sort of interpersonal conflict. But um, we started with the idea of like, ooh, we can grow this and sort of so it, it, we wanted it to be a business and it sort of never turned into one. And that was hard because we didn't it wasn't purpose driven. I think that was always sort of the, the part of the issue with it. We wanted to find a space definitely to like talk about these issues that were important to us as parents. But. I think you hear people say, oh, you kind of you start start doing it as if it would never make money. Do it if it didn't make money. And that is it's really true, because I think that when that is coloring your perceptions and your goals, it's very hard to to build the trust, to feel like you're on the same page. And it just it it is a very different experience. I will say for for myself, what I've realized is like partnerships work in that in that 
experience and in this one, partnerships work really well for me. I think that's part of it too. It's like a personality thing. Like, despite the fact that I'm an, a one on the Enneagram and you would think that I, and I'm a control freak, I work re- and I don't like to have bosses. So all these things would make you think like, well, this is going to be a disaster. But I really, really like to be in a partnership, like a very because I just I don't like I get decision fatigue. I love to have something to bounce off someone. I love to feel like I'm I can share it with someone that I'm not in it having to make all my decisions for myself. Like that a part really appeals to me. So I think that they're you know when people ask me about the online space or being an entrepreneur, I always say like I really like a partnership. Like I'm not a solo entrepreneur. That's not a spa- that's not a thing I enjoy. I really like being in it together. Even when I ran for office, I was like in it with the the my friend Brandy who was running for mayor. It was still I always had a, another person to bounce things off of. That works really really well for me and my personality. Yeah, and you're really comfortable with that in a way that's helped me ease into it because I haven't been in a structure like this before. I do not like having – I don't like working with people who force me to do things that don't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't like being told what to do. Uh, but I do like having someone to kick things around with. And I think that comes back to – in addition to us being clear about what we're trying to accomplish together – I just trust who you are as a person and your personal values so that even if we had some sort of conflict over a business decision, I wouldn't make that mean something that it didn't mean. Right. Whereas when I was in a workplace with other people who made decisions that I did not agree with, I did make that mean things beyond the workplace. Sometimes, you know, I would think, well, we just we see the world differently. We care right. about different things fundamentally. This is an expression of different values. And I think that our our core values and the kinds of things that influence the sort of decisions that you make about a project or a business align so closely. And I always have trust in that. And so I don't go down that road of drama mm-hmm. about other things. Absolutely. <laughs> I was thinking about this um, this weekend this is two Dak Shepard's Dak Shepherd references. So Megan recommended that I listen to Dak Shepard's podcast and Beth She did. Ta- Megan, she did listen. <laughs> she did, I did listen. Beth is probably super mad at Megan because I've been talking about it constantly. I listened to it to the way to Best House, which meant I talked about it constantly for the next three days at Best House. So it was just like so interesting. He was so thoughtful and introspective. I really, I, I found a new appreciation of Dak Shepard, who I already liked. So I was listening to him and his wife, and she they would say, like, I just think you're a good person. I just think you're a good person. And I thought that was, like, such a good center point, like, sort of guiding vision. And I think it's true in a partnership, whether it's a marriage or a business partnership. Like, no matter how frustrated you are, just check in with, like, I know, I know this person would be a good person. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to screw me. Like, this person is a good person. So I think that is totally true. The other Dak Shepard Shepherd reference is that his adorably charming wife, Kristen Bell, uh, y'all really have to listen to this interview with the two of them. It starts off with her saying, I don't really want to do this. I want to go to Michael's. I found this girl and I really love. And I just identified it with on such a deep personal level that I found the rest of the interview so charming. But she kept saying, I have this terrible inner memory. And you and I were talking about, yeah, I have this terrible memory too. Like, I don't remember a lot of college. And so we had this really great paradoxical situation in which we know we've known each other for a long time, but I think the kindness is that we don't have great memories. So you don't remember what I was like at 18 and I don't remember what you were like at 18. And I think that's probably a good thing for our partnership. I think so too. I mostly don't remember what I was like at 18. I mean, I really just don't. 
have a lot of hangups about the past in any area of my life. And it is incredibly freeing to not be like that. Yes. Yes. And I think that so that helps too. I will also say that like early in our partnership, we had a few sort of like experiences traveling together that I will not get into the details, but they could have been character revealing in a very good way or character revealing in a very bad way. And Beth's character revealing was amazing. At the end of it, I thought I could be a partner with this woman for the rest of my life because of the way she handled the situation with such grace. And so like you also in a partnership see how each other handles stress. And so that can be very revealing. I I hope the ways in which I've handled stress were um, as positive as the ways I watched Beth handle stress. I'm not positive that's the case, but I'm hopeful. (laughs) But you just have these situations where you're like, all right, good. All the good things I thought about this person are true. That's a good feeling. No, that's true about you too. And I think it's obvious to everyone that we are very aligned in terms of values. We are very different in terms of personality. So different. And we built our platform on our differences. And okay. so I think that's also where people think, how do you mesh these two perspectives into a business? And what I would say, and this was your word, Sarah, and I really liked it, that we have complementary personalities. Because mm-hmm. when it comes to the business side of things, we have two vastly different skill sets and what we are doing today would not exist but for both of those skill sets coming together. Yeah, and I think that the, it's like this weird thing that because of what we talk about politics a lot of the time and even just like life stuff on this podcast, I'm having to constantly remind myself and learn that like you need all kinds. Complementary is positive because, again, I feel like I'm referencing my Enneagram a lot, a lot. Because of my Enneagram, I like to ascribe moral value to thing and be like, okay, but there is an appropriate way to handle it. It is obviously the way I handle it as the appropriate one and the one everyone should adopt. And so because Beth is good at reminding me of this in the most gracious way possible, like I have to be like, no, oh, mm-mm, no, that's not the case. There are more than one way of doing things. This way is good, too. Like, it's like a really good sort of spiritual practice for me as well that I think is very helpful. Well, I think that's right, that our kind of philosophies where we differ are complementary. And I also mean it just in terms of Sarah has social media expertise. I do not. I do not mm-hmm. wish to have social media expertise. Mm-hmm. I have human resources expertise. Sarah do does not. not. She does do not, not wish to have that. You mm-hmm. know, And I think being able to separate those things out and know this is your lane, this is my lane. I'm always going to defer to Sarah on something salesy. Even when I don't really agree, it doesn't matter because to me, Sarah is the sales expert, Mm. you know, and then I'm going to be the person who's going to do more of the let me give you a deep dive on the Mueller investigation because Mm -hmm. that interests me more. And, And I think we don't have any sense of competition no. because we're so clear on how our personalities support each other. And I think that's unusual in a partnership. I think if you're kind of trying to take notes on how can I have a successful collaboration in my life, it would be to me, number one, a shared sense of values and mission and purpose. Number two, trust building off of that. And number three, appreciation instead of competition in terms of the skill sets. I will never, ever be checking the special counsel website. There's just nothing I'm going to do. I'm okay with that. You could do that because I'm not going to do it. 
Right. And there are lots of things that you're going to be good at that I'm just I'm just not. You know, I I don't like Instagram stories. Sorry, I don't. I do my best, you know, but I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy thinking about how we could use them differently. But that's important to what we do. And that's the trick. Right. Because I think in a lot of partnerships, both people are secretly saying, but I have the more important skill set. You can do that thing that's not important or that Mm -hmm. I value less. And I think we both see the value in what the other one does and appreciate it and can just say from a healthy perspective, like, no, that's just not my, that's not my thing. Okay. Let's talk about this. Do you think we've ever had a fight? No, I don't think we have. Is that problematic though, to offer advice on a partnership when we've never actually had a fight or conflict? I think we have had a couple of situations that could have become a fight. Ooh, like what? Well, so we when we have introduced other people into our mix. Yes, I know what you're talking about. I feel you. Briefly okay. or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that could have created a lot of conflict because, look, any team, when there's a change in that team, you add a person, you subtract a person, a person's role changes. It is a hotbed of conflict. That has nothing to do with the personalities involved. It's just because it's a change, right? Right. And you've got to work through all of that. And I think that if we weren't open and honest with each other, and also always coming back to what are we trying to accomplish here, Mm -hmm. that that could have spiraled into a fight for sure. I also feel like everybody owns their piece in it. Yeah. If I screw up, I was like, well, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. That was dumb. Sorry about that. Well, and another thing that we're very clear on, and again, some of this is the luxury of of what we do and how we do it, but we are okay with change. Like mm-hmm. we have a schedule. If one of us has to deviate from the schedule, the other one doesn't get mad about it. Mm-hmm. Not everyone would do that. But I feel like we've built that in as a value here. Our families are important to us. Mm-hmm. We're both moms. We both have responsibilities other than the podcast. So we're going to be really flexible with each other about that kind of thing. Yeah, I think there was a several moments, too, where we sort of established, and I'm going to um, graciously take credit for this, where you would be, like, trying to apologize, and I'd be like, no, listen, uh-uh. I do this all no, the time. you should take credit for that, absolutely. Yeah, you do this, I do this. It's cool. We're not going to beat each other up about it. We're just going to move on. Don't apologize. And I think that that's been really helpful, too. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and that's the other thing. I feel like we try to give each other credit when, when we're doing speaking engagements or even on the podcast, we'll say, well, this is a thing that you say mm-hmm. all the time. And to me, those are just subtle ways of uplifting the other person and reinforcing, I value this partnership. I don't quietly think I'm the most important part of it. Every person I talk to about the podcast, I always stress, like, we we need each other. This You would not want to listen to me for an hour by myself, <laughs> you know? And you would not keep coming back and people would not know about the show. And so I feel like that constant reinforcement of you are important to me, you are teaching me things, you provide value here that I can't provide. I just I haven't experienced that with a lot of other professional relationships. I think it's unique. Mm-hmm. I don't think it has to be unique, though, because it's really easy as we do it. Yeah, You know, I mean, but- we're describing all this and it's. It's really easy. Yeah, the chemistry, I think our chemistry of the complementary personalities. And also you got to think about, though, this partnership is built on conversation. If other working relationships required the people to sit down and talk about what was important to them for two to three hours a week, they'd probably be more successful. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah, so that's right. much talking, so much talking. 
Well, and there's a lot of talking about talking, yeah. which is another unique aspect. And values and stress and all these things. Like, I used to, okay, here is an important confession for Sarah. Oprah says a lot. I never went to therapy because the show and Gail were my therapy. And I used to secretly roll my eyes at Oprah, which, as we all know, is a big deal for me to confess because I find Oprah almost without error in most er- in most areas. So when she would say that, I'd be like, mm, no, you probably should have gone to therapy. But, like, now I kind of get it. Like, now mm-hmm. that I talk so much to you, like, I kind of get what she was saying. Yeah, you just work it out if you're talking that much. I kind of get it. I'm sorry, Oprah. I'm sorry I doubted you momentarily. That was my fault. And so if you are you are probably in a situation where that's not hardwired into what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I will say that the best work partnerships, not partnership in the sense of that's structurally our business, but I work closely with this person, the best work partnerships I've had. I do think that the other person and I have introduced that component. We've made space for, we need to go to lunch regularly. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to talk about things other than just what's on our agenda for today. We need to know each other as people. We need to know what we value. We need in the midst of disagreement about work to be able to pull back and say, oh, I think this is coming from this place in you. Is that right? Yeah. And the more you can... You just have to make those investments. I guess that's the message. Our format requires those investments. If yours doesn't, you're still going to have to make those investments, I think, to have happy, fulfilling, successful collaborations with other people. Oh, let me tell you, my very first boss, Karen, at Planned Parenthood of Central North Carolina, was the best boss of all time. And it's really no fault of Karen that I don't having like having bosses because she was an amazing boss, especially a first boss. And she would we would have a weekly lunch date. Um, often it would involve her bringing me presents from Aveda because I was doing such a good job. Let's just talk about that for a moment. And she, it was amazing. She really was. She was like, okay, what's going well? What's not going well? Is there anything that you need to work out? Like, oh, it was the best boss employee relationship. Probably not sustainable on a grand scale, but it was awesome. Yeah, I I really loved my last boss and we shared space even. And so that really enabled me to kind of just get to know this person. What's your mood like, Mm -hmm. you know, and what's my mood like and how are we all feeling through all of this? So, so I do think those investments are worthwhile. I imagine that people want to know a little bit about the specifics of like how we worked on the book together and how we sort of divvy up some of the tasks around the shows because I get those questions sometimes. So, so maybe what I should say is I think we approach the book the way that we approach kind of everything that we do. We get together and say, let's map this out big picture. Mm-hmm. What, what's the high level outline? And then from there, and this is what we do on the podcast, too. What's the high-level outline? Okay, I'm going to really take the lead on this part, and you're going to take the lead on that part. So the first answer is the Internet. (laughs) This would be possible without the Internet. (laughs) So we do that. But we did get together for the the book in person in Nashville. We took a long weekend at an Airbnb. We had these really awesome giant Post-it notes. Side note. And we mapped out the big picture and then we traded off. So we would trade off chapters. We would trade off sections. Um, Same thing in the podcast. We'll trade off sections of the podcast and intros and outros and all that stuff. And we um, then would go back and sort of the editing. We switched chapters. We switched sections and we read each other's work and we added to it. And we had. But, you know, we even when we were editing, like 
we didn't even do track changes when you think about it. It wasn't like I would go in and change your stuff and you would approve it. I just no. did it. And we were talking about how now that we're reading the edits, we don't even know who wrote what parts, which I think is really something. Well, I think it's ideal. And that's another thing. Like, there is nothing possessive in this relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. That's a hard switch. I mean, honestly, I worked in an environment where that is cuckoo. Like, the idea that you wouldn't do track changes and you would really secure a specific agreement to how this wordsmithing has happened is just way out of the realm of where most people are. But to me, our partnership is successful because we're always focused on we're creating something together and we want the final output not to be something that I want my name on or you want your name on, but that we both want to share ownership in. Right. And I think it does go back to trust. Like, I don't feel like I need to go back and reread something after Sarah has touched it. Like, if I've made my pass and Sarah's coming behind me, after she comes behind me, we're done. Yep. Absolutely. Goes back to the trust and, of course, the Internet. (laughs) Google Drive. We love you, Google Drive. We love you, Google Drive. We love Airtable now. We loved Evernote for some time because being able to keep everything in one spot. I mean, most of our challenges have not been personality or conflict challenges. They have just been, how do we organize all of this? Mm -hmm. Because it did grow so quickly into something much different than what we were setting out to do. And then we had this angel from heaven called Elise come and say, hey, this is my gift. Would you like some of my organizational gifts? And we said, yes, Elise, we love you. (laughs) Yes. So Elise is helping us now. Um, with our show notes and with our advertising. And we are so fortunate to have her. She's so smart. She's so organized. She's so thoughtful. And it is fun to build out a team. It is. It's just how do you build out a team in stages, deliberately, understanding what everybody's roles are, communicating well. And there's growth in all of that. And I think businesses and partnerships are ready for growth at different times, too. I think the other struggle we've had is we have our partnership and then we have very involved marital partners that are involved in this podcast. And navigating those waters, I will be totally honest, has been tough to find a space in which our husbands work on the podcast and help us with the podcast and then all of a sudden have lots of maybe conflicting opinions with what we should do. That's been a little harder to work out. I'm not even trying to lie. Well, because our husbands are coming in in such a limited way compared to the way we work with each other. And so there's value in that. There's value in that distance and perspective. But it is not the kind of value that is created when you are constantly aware of our values and our mission and constantly thinking about all of those things. And so it comes in in a way that sometimes feels tangential. Sometimes it feels critical, but not helpfully critical. And some of that is just the baggage that you bring to the person you're married to as well, right? You can just hear things differently from different people. If a listener commented on some of the things that Chad comments on, I would take it so much less personally than I take from Chad. But again, I think we're trying to, as we evolve in what we're doing, and as this does become less hobby, more business, I think for me, this, the spiritual exercise, the emotional exercise, and the business exercise is... How do I get the most value from what Chad and Nicholas have to say? Because it is valuable. They are Mm -hmm. both super smart guys. I believe that they have our best interests at heart and want our shows to be successful. 
So how do I position everything and how do we position everything in our team so that when they weigh in, we're grateful for it instead of pissed off about it? I also think candidly, the, <laughs> right, the final piece of this puzzle is it's really easy to stay like honed in on the value of this partnership and our values because we have an amazing community of listeners mm-hmm. who remind us with about 20 to 25 emails a day. You know what I mean? Like people constantly saying like, what you're doing is important. This is how it's serving me. Or honestly, they're really good at being like, hey, this wasn't quite right or working on this. Like I just it's it feels like, you know, we have this this big foundation of support that is such an integral part to this collaboration because it's really not just about us two. And I want to say that your generosity in that way matters to us a lot because if the ratio of feedback were different, I don't know that I could have sustained this. I'm just Mm -hmm. being honest with you. I'm a two on the Enneagram. (laughs) I'm a caretaker. I want people to feel served by me all the time. And so I do take the harsh messages very hard and very personally. And I've grown a lot in that way. And I've learned to have a sense of curiosity instead of a sense of feeling attacked. And it's made me a better person for sure. I think that I have been able to make it make me a better person. One, because of Sarah's support. Sarah takes all of that very differently than I do. And it has taught me a lot and helps me so much. And also because we get so many more messages that are like, mm-hmm. here's how this makes my life. How, here's how listening to you makes my life better, which is the most overwhelmingly generous thing that anyone could say. And the fact that people take their valuable time to say that to us, it is like you guys are our human resources team supporting yeah, us. Totally. You, know? it's, you take enough time to listen and then you to take enough time to get feedback is such a gift. It is a gift. Absolutely. So there's there. That's a beautiful conclusion. You beautiful people are the the biggest part the secret of our sauce. Success, <laughs> the secret sauce of our successful collaboration. So we are going to end today with a passage from Irish poet and priest John O'Donohue. Your mind can deceive you and put all kinds of barriers between you and your nature, but your body does not lie. Your body tells you if you attend to it, how your life is, and if you are living from your soul or from the labyrinths of your negativity. The human body is the most complex, refined, and harmonious totality. Your body is, in essence, a crowd of different members who work in harmony to make your belonging in the world possible. The soul is not simply within the body, hidden somewhere within its recesses. The truth is rather the converse. Your body is in the soul, and the soul suffuses you completely. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Nuanced Life. We'll be back in your ears on Friday in our other podcast, Paint Soup Politics. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.